0: Today we are uh, concluding uh, the sermon series that we started just after Labor Day. Uh, if you haven't been with us uh, before today, just going to give you an update. We've been looking at the question, the big picture question, how does God feel about us? How does God feel about uh, you today, about me, about the average person sitting in the pews on a Sunday morning? How does God feel about his children, about his, about his people? Uh, the reason we've been tackling that question is because really the answer to it uh, how a person answers, it really shapes a lot of things in their life. It shapes how we view God and how we relate to God, how we think of God. It shapes how we view ourselves. It shapes how we view other people and how we relate to them. So we've been looking at this question of how does God feel about us. Uh, over the course of the past several weeks, we looked at things like, how does is God angry with us? Is God indifferent toward us? Is God disgusted with us? So on and so forth. But today we come to the, the last question, and that is, does God only tolerate us? Does God just put up with us? You know, when we look at who God is, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, uh, he's all-wise, he's present everywhere, he's the creator of the universe, uh, he's holy and just in every way, and we look at ourselves, uh, you know, we, we fail, we pale in the comparison, don't we? we? We don't match up very well with who God is, and, and so it's easy sometimes maybe for some of us to think, well, you know, um, I keep struggling with the same issues, or I keep having the same problems, and Surely God must sometimes get a little annoyed with me and just kind of put up with me and kind of over, you know, sort of like maybe when uh, there's a child who's really pesky and annoying and, and they just won't let up on you. And as adults, sometimes we just kind of, OK, it's all right. You kind of tolerate them for the moment and then you try to pull them aside and talk to them later. Is God, does God treat us like that? Does God just tolerate us uh, at times in our lives? Well, of course, um, what we're going to say today is that the Bible says that God does not just only tolerate us. In fact, it's the opposite. God's basic stance toward his people is one of, of love, of deep, abiding, unending, uh, unconditional love. God's stance is, is one of love toward us. Uh, we just read from, uh, from 1 Corinthians 13, it's often known, it's called the love chapter. And it's called the love chapter, pretty self-explanatory. It's read at a lot at weddings. It was written by the Apostle Paul to, to kind of describe love and what it looks like. And, and as we look through it, we, we hear love is patient, love is kind. Uh, love doesn't envy. Love doesn't isn't rude. Doesn't hold a record of wrongs. Love uh, uh, always perseveres. Always hopes. Always believes. Love never fails. We're going to look at we're going to look at another passage of scripture that also deals with love, and it's one that's that's often uh, highlighted along with First Corinthians 13. It's kind of talking about who God is and what love is and the quality of love that we are to have as His people. And so I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to First uh, John, which is towards the very back of the Bible. Uh, 1 John chapter 4. And as you're turning there, we're going to be starting at verse 7. As you're turning there, a little bit about John, the author of this of this letter. John wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, the Gospel of John. And, and John was uh, one of the disciples of Jesus. And he was, uh, in, in Scripture, he's referred to a couple times by, several times by this really neat phrase, the disciple or the one whom Jesus loved. And so what we can infer from that is that uh, John had this special relationship with Jesus. Jesus loved all the other disciples, obviously, but, but John had this special relationship with Jesus. And so they called him the one that Jesus loved, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And, and you, you have to think that if John felt that, that special relationship, that special connection with Jesus, that his writings would have been impacted by that, wouldn't they have been? And so as we look through his writings, we see that a common thread, the, the central theme of John's writings is that of God's love for his people. And then in turn, our, our call to love others as Christ has loved us. So with that in mind, let's take a look now at 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that He might live, that we might live through him. This is love not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. This is how we know that we live in him and he in us. He has given us of his spirit and we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the son of God, that God lives in him and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. You know, all of us um, have personality issues or or part of our emotional makeup that keep us from maybe maturing in parts of our lives, whether it's relationally or vocationally or whatever, things that kind of hold us back a little bit that keep us from becoming the person that we want to be and that God's created us to be. We all have those things. It's called sin. And if we're wise and we're self-aware, we typically can kind of point out those things and say, yeah, I struggle with that or this or that. And we know those things. We try to overcome them, try to adjust, try to change them uh, and, and make, you know, make progress in those areas. For instance, I have a... One of the areas that I've always kind of struggled with is, is I want to be a people pleaser. I want people to like me. I suppose everybody has that issue to a certain degree, but I've had to learn to assert myself at times, to, to set boundaries, uh, to learn not to avoid conflict when it needs to be dealt with. Uh, I've had to learn that there are sometimes more important things in life than having somebody like you. Now, now, I've always known that, really I have, and I still don't have it down perfectly, but the thing that's maybe helped me the most in this area is, is the truth behind the verse that I just concluded with. And so we know and rely on the love that God has for us. We know and rely in everything we do. In everything we are, we are to know and rely on the love that God has for us. It's to be the foundation out of which we live our lives. When we're tempted to compromise or, or be less than ourselves because we want people to think well of us, we rely on God's love. Because ultimately, God's love is what defines us. As John says earlier in his letter, in chapter 3, verse 1, it's a verse we often quote when we dedicate children, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Now, John really wants us to grasp this, and so he uses exclamation points in the Greek. He uses two exclamation points, so it's like he's shouting off the pages here at us. You are the children of God. That is what you are. And the word lavish he uses to describe God's love is, you know, lave is to wash. So washing us over with God's love an extravagance a washing over of God's love for his people. You know how we uh, will have uh, showers like a baby shower or, or a wedding shower where we maybe celebrate the birth of a new baby or celebrate the, the, the upcoming wedding of a, of a woman and a man. And, and we look at those things and, and we, we celebrate with them and we shower them with gifts. And in a sense, that's what the Father is doing for us. When we put our trust in Christ, we are literally born again. Jesus uses that phrase in John 3. We become a new creation and something changes fundamentally and forever in our relationship with God the Father. We are no longer separated from God by our sin. We are now called his children. And God loves to lavish love upon his children. Blessing upon blessing, love and joy and peace and salvation and freedom, um, hope, grace. God lavishes those blessings upon us. Simply because he loves us, that's what he does, that's who he is. God is love. And when we understand that, we really understand that it is to change everything in our lives. We are to know and rely upon the love that God has for us. So when we doubt our worth because of personal failure, we are to know and rely upon the love God has for us. And when we face rejection because of of what we look like or because of our values, we know and rely upon the love God has for us or when we feel awkward or strange and we feel no one understands us, we are to know and rely upon the love God the Father has for us. And when Satan tries to tell us that we're really not a child of God, when he whispers in our ear that we screwed up too many times, that it cannot be forgiven because it's a bazillionth time we've done something and we knew better, we are to know and rely upon the love of God the Father that he has for us. We are to, in everything be defined by, our, our, by what God has done for us and by his love for us, not by our stuff, not by our accomplishments, not by our parents, not by our failures. We are children of God. And the basis for our, our status or our identity as children of God is, is what Christ has done on the cross for us. Verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. You see, before the cross of Christ, there was a very real gap, an infinitely wide gap between God and us. And and it was because of our sin. And there was simply no way around it, no way under it, no way through it, no way around it. And because of God's love, totally because of his initiative and of his doing, love always begins with him. because of that, God sends Jesus Christ to die for our sins. And that, that gap is bridged. And Jesus himself becomes the bridge. That's what the word priest means, pontiff. Christ becomes our high priest, he becomes our bridge, and we are brought near to God and are now called children of God. And that is the only way that we can be called children of God, be made right with God. But once it happens, it's permanent. God will not disown, God will not disinherit, God will not abandon his children. Now you might be thinking, Doug, I've got this whole concept of God's love. Why don't you get off this horse? You've been riding it for a while. But, but I, I want to stay on it for a little bit longer because I truly believe that the, the issue of identity in Christ, of understanding who we are in Christ, children of God, when people don't get that, it leads to brokenness and pain and confusion and all sorts of issues in their lives. And, and if people more truly grasp God's love, it would revolutionize, revolutionize, would change their lives, would change the church and would change the world. And, and, God, and, and John gets this, and that's what he's trying to drive home in this passage, we are children of God. Take a look at verse 7. Now the response. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. And so if we understand God's great love for his children, then it is to lead in turn for a great to a great love for other people. There's a movie called uh, Win a Date with Tad Hamilton, and uh, it's been out for several years. And, and there's, there's some central characters. There's Rosalie, who's a, a small-town girl from West Virginia, And there's a guy named Tad Hamilton who is um, a movie star uh, in Hollywood, kind of a George Clooney of the day, I guess. Uh, There's a guy named Pete who uh, is is, um, Rosalie's friend and boss. And there's a girl named Angelica who's a local bartender. And there's this contest uh, that you can enter to win a date with Tad Hamilton. And Rosalie enters and, of course, she wins and she flies to Hollywood. She has this date. It's an incredible night. And then she flies back to West Virginia to resume her life. But Tad Hamilton, the movie star, is kind of changed by the date. Uh, he, he, when, he, when he spends time with, with her just for that one night, uh, they go out to dinner, they go out to a movie, whatever, and, and, and he, he, he sees something different in her, and he, he looks at his own life and he doesn't like what he sees. And so he decides to fly to West Virginia to resume this relationship with Rosalie and hope that, that whatever she's got will begin to rub off on him. Now, meanwhile, Rosalie isn't aware that her best friend and boss at the local Piggly Wiggly grocery store, that's a, that's a real movie, that's a real grocery store chain, I've seen them, Pete is secretly in love with her. And as this romance between Rosalie and, and the movie star Tad begins to blossom, he suffers in silence. And he goes into a bar to kind of drown his sorrows, and, and the bartender, Angelica, convinces him to talk about it. She says, you know, as a bartender, you do learn to recognize the customers who need to talk. He says, well, I, I'm, I'm fine, but could I have maybe six more of those? And he points at his drink. She says, no, 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 you need to, you need to talk. He says, oh, well, okay, well, I, I think that our friend Rosie is falling in love with Tad Hamilton. She says, well, I didn't have to be a bartender to see that one coming. He says, but, but the, the problem is, is is that I'm in love with Rosie. She says, well, yeah, I, I kind of thought maybe you were. So how much do you love her? Is it love, or is it a big love, or is it a great love? She says, what, what, "What do you mean by that?" And she responds, "Well, love you get over in two months. Big love takes two years, but a great love, a great love changes your life. If we truly understand God's great love for His children, then it naturally leads to a great love for other people. In fact, John tells us that we know we are God's children if we love others. The last part of verse seven. "Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God." And then verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. Now, what's that mean? If we love each other, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us? Does that mean that God's love is conditional and it ebbs and flows depending on how much we love other people or how well we love other people? No, of course not. That flies in the face of what John is, is emphasizing and writing here. It's pointing us to this. As we love other people as we obey his commands to love others, as we live in and through the power of his love for us, our experience of God becomes more tangible, more real, more complete, more mature in our relationship with him. I mean, how do we how do you experience the love of another human being? It's not in a vacuum, is it? It's in action, as you, as you get to know the other person. It's in relationship, as you find out who they are and what pleases them and what their heart is about. And if you love that person, you try to do whatever it is, whatever it takes to bring them joy. And so if we want to grow in our relationship with God, if we want to see his love made complete in us, not that we can earn it, not that we can increase it, but that we can grow in our experience of it. If we want to see his love made complete in us, then we are to to love others as he has loved us through Jesus Christ. Verse 9. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Saul Bellow once wrote, A man is only as good as what he loves. In other words, average people love things. Immature people love themselves. Good people love other people, but great people love God and through the power of God's love for them, love other people. John, 1 John 3.16 says, This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. And in verse 18 of chapter 3, Dear children, let us not love with words of our tongue, but with actions and in truth. God's love is made complete in us as we love others through his love for us. In his book, God's Perfection, Rabbi Pesach Crone, writes a, a, ter- a powerful story uh, uh, about God's love shown toward others. Uh, there's a school in Brooklyn, New York, that caters to learning disabled kids, and at a fundraiser for the, for the school, a fundraiser dinner, the father of one of the children stood up and, and gave an unforgettable speech. After extolling the school and, 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 um, and thanking the dedicated staff, he said, where is the perfection in my son Shea? Everything God does is with perfection is with perfection, but my child cannot understand things like other kids can. My child cannot remember facts and figures as other children do. Where is God's perfection, perfection in Shea? The audience was shocked by the question. I believe, he continued, that when God brings a child like this into the world, the perfection that he seeks is in the way that people react to him or her. He then told this story. He said one afternoon he and Shea walked past a park where some boys that Shea knew were playing baseball, and Shea noticed them and he wanted to play, and he asked, Would you think they would let me play with him? And, And of course, Shea's dad knew that most boys probably would not want him on this team because physically he couldn't do the things that they could do and he didn't know the game. And But he, but he knew that if his son were chosen to play, it would give him a very comfortable sense of belonging, that, that he wouldn't feel so different, so unusual. And so Shay's father approached one of the boys in the field and asked if, if Shea could play. And the boy didn't know what to say. He kind of looked around at his other teammates. Nobody said anything. So finally he said, well, um, we're losing by six runs and it's in the eighth inning. Um, I guess he can be on our team and in the ninth inning. If if he gets a chance, we'll put him up to bat. So Shea was told to put on a glove. He went to center field, and his team, uh, in the bottom of the eighth, scored a few runs, but they were still behind by three. In the bottom of the ninth inning, Shea's team scored again, and with two outs and the bases loaded, guess what? It was Shea's turn to bat, and surprisingly, the boys sent him up to the plate with a bat. Everybody knew it was impossible, but because Shea didn't even know how to hold the bat, much less hit the ball, but they put him up there, and, and the pitcher on the other team took a, two step, a few steps toward him and tossed the ball up there real gently. And Shea swung clumsily and missed it badly. And so one of Shea's teammates came up to Shea, and together they held the bat, and, and, and they faced the pitcher, and the pitcher took a couple more steps toward him again, and he lobbed the ball again softly. And, and together they swung, and they hit the ball a really weak, slow grounder to the pitcher. Well, the pitcher picked up the grounder and could have thrown him out easily, but he threw it over the first baseman's head into right field. And they yelled, run, Shea, run. And so he took off running, wide-eyed and startled. And by the time he got to first base, the right fielder had the ball, and the right fielder then threw the ball over second base. And they said, run, Shea, run. And so he ran to second base. He got confused, and the shortstop turned him around and said, run to third, run to third. Again, they threw the ball over the third baseman's head. And then they said, run home, Shea. And he ran home. He scored. And all 18 boys lifted him on their shoulders and made him the hero as he had just won the game for his team. And that day the father said, with tears softly rolling down his face, those 18 boys reached their level of God's perfection. God's love is made perfect and is made complete in us as we love others as Christ has first loved us. And that is the, the gift of God. God. His love, His tremendous, powerful love, His his very Son, Jesus Christ. And that love is to change everything, even our very identity. It's to be the basis upon which we shape our lives. We live our lives as God's love for us, our identity in Christ, as children of God. And that love in turn is to lead to a change in our relationships with others, that we would love others through Him, through His power as He has first loved us. God loves you. Is God only tolerating you? Is God disgusted with you? Is God angry with you? How does God feel about you? The answer is that God loves you. And we are to know that. And we are to rely upon it. Behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us. And we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. And we thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you that that you loved John in such a powerful way that he was impressed by it, impacted by it, and in turn loved others and calls us to love others. Father, we pray that our identity would not be based upon what we can do, who we are uh, in this world's eyes, our appearance, our accomplishments, or even our failures, but rather our identity would be based upon the fact that you love us, that you sent your son for us, and that we are children of God. That is what we are, Lord. So, Father, help us um, in turn to live out that, that identity in the world around us, to see others through your eyes, to see others as people you've called us to love. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your incredible love for us. We dedicate ourselves to being the people you call us to be to live out the identity of children of God. Help us to rely upon that. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.